0: Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hopefully you guys remember. We've looked at so many great men of faith. We even looked at Sarah for a moment there. Great men, great women of faith. Again, Hebrews 11, it's here not simply as the hall of faith as many of us know it. But Hebrews 11 is here to encourage these new believers to not go back to their former way of living. Hebrews 11 was here to encourage these believers, hey, you need to go forward, you need to press on, don't fall back into your old religion, don't go back to your old ways, press on, have strength, have courage, Jesus is enough, he's the best high priest, he has the best kingdom, he's better than Moses, he's better than angels, Jesus is the best thing in this entire universe. So again, he encourages them. He's been encouraging them, right, to stop being Hebrews and now be Christians. Swear your allegiance to the King of Kings and not to this world. So let's read Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll read verse 23 through 29. And it tells us by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, Not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. So tonight we'll look briefly at the life of Moses. He truly is... Probably my favorite character in the Old Testament. Love Moses. I see a lot of his uh, strengths, weaknesses. I can see what he goes through and where he's at. But verse 23 the first thing we see is that by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. So, how much faith does a newborn baby have? none right that's what it's talking about here it's talking about the faith that moses's parents had we wouldn't have moses the moses of god's word if we didn't have moses's parents we wouldn't have it because if they wouldn't have faith they would have given him over first thing for us to look at is that he was a beautiful child and if you're honest when it comes to babies that's a miracle right Babies, when they're first born, sometimes they're beautiful. Most of the time, they're not, right? I love Pastor Raz. One of my favorite stories he ever told is sometimes you have that baby, and aren't they beautiful? And It's a baby, right? That's all you can say. That's all you can say. It's a baby, right? You don't know how to answer them. But Moses, when he was born, he was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. You can write down... Exodus chapter 2, verse 2, that's where we see this the first time. It says, so the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. In Acts chapter 7, verse 20, it gives us a greater idea of what God's word is really telling us here. We can turn to Acts chapter 7, verse twenty. We have Stephen here, this waiter, this busboy, and he's able to give these Pharisees, the high priests, the entire history of their people of the Old Testament. And in Acts chapter 7, it tells us in verse 17, we'll look at verse 17 through 21, it says, But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. So again, Moses, he was beautiful, but it's not just beautiful by his looks. He was beautiful to God. He was fairly looking to God when in God's eyes, he was well-pleasing to him. It's not just that he was a cute baby, but he was well-pleasing to God as a newborn, Pharaoh's command, we looked at it a little bit there. Let's jump to Exodus chapter 1. Some of you guys have seen the movies, whether it's Charlton Heston, right? Moses, Moses, Moses. Uh, maybe it was the prince of Egypt or something else like that. But Exodus chapter 1, verse 15, it tells us, Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Sapphira, and the name of the other was Pua. And he said, When... You do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools. If it's a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively, they give birth, and before the midwives have come to them, therefore God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river. And every daughter you shall save alive. Again, throughout history, throughout biblical history, leaders who want to kill babies, children, it's something that's demonic. It's something that's evil, whether it's Pharaoh here in Exodus chapter 1, or whether it's Jesus with King Herod. Murdering babies, right? It's something that's evil. I hope, again, as believers, as Christians, we can agree with that. But this was Pharaoh's command. The command from Pharaoh was if you gave birth to a baby boy and you were Hebrew, you had to throw them into the river. And we can look at this and we can think instantly, hey, what would you do? How would protect my baby. I think as parents, most of us would say that. But now what do you do if you have two older children, right? Because Moses' parents, Moses wasn't the only baby they had. They already had Miriam. They already had Aaron. A.R. Falsetti says, the faith of his parents in saving the child must have had some divine revelation to rest on, which marked their exceedingly fair baby as one whom God designed to have a great work done by. His beauty was probably the sign appointed by God to assure their faith. They saw something amazing in this kid, and they said, we have to do this by faith. It wasn't just paternal instinct. wasn't just mom or dad trying to save their baby because they had two older kids to look after. But family, there's a certain time where we need to pray and say, Lord, what are you asking me to do? Lord, what are you calling me to do? This is a touchy subject in this season, right? But Acts chapter 5, verse 29, it's a very important verse for us to know, to have in our hearts, to balance with Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 13. But Acts chapter 5, here we have the apostles, we have Peter, some of the apostles, and they were just put in prison for preaching and sharing the gospel. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 27, it says, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Again, family, there's a certain point when the government, you need to disobey. And that's between you and the Lord and what God is calling you to do. There are certain points, certain governments That it will get to a point where you cannot obey the government and obey the Lord. But I pray we would count the cost already and say, Lord, am I willing to do that? Lord, am I willing to sacrifice my life, my family, my business, if it's really to obey you over what the government or what men would say? And again, Peter here, he's on trial by the religious leaders of the day and the Roman authorities of the day. So there may be a point, again, God forbid, hopefully I stay on track. The Bible is the only thing we go by, that I go by. But there may be a point that even if I am not giving you the gospel or the word or the Bible, that you have to say, hey, I can't follow you. I can't go to this church anymore because this church is not biblical. We have to be ready to do that. We have to say, I'm going to obey God and not man, no matter what the case we need to pray. We need to count the cost. But again, Moses' parents—they looked at this baby and they were blown away. They saw something amazing in him. We can go back to Hebrews chapter eleven. They saw that he was well pleasing to God. Some of the Jewish people—they said when Moses was born, it was like the sun was shining in the room. That's some of the extraordinary stories that Jewish people would tell themselves. They say that Moses, at one day old, he was already walking. He didn't drink breast milk. This is Jewish history, Jewish stories. But again, they looked at Moses and they saw that he was well pleasing to God. It was by faith in God. God, you have some plan for this baby. I don't know what it is, but we're willing to sacrifice our own lives and the lives of our older son and older daughter to save this baby. And parents, what do you see when you look at your children? What do you see when you look at your children? You see, when Moses' parents, if you don't know their names, it's Amram and Jochebed, they looked at Moses and they didn't just see a baby. They saw a tool that the Lord wanted to use for his glory. They didn't see him as their own. They saw him as a tool that the Lord wanted to use for his glory. They didn't see Moses as the culmination of their own plans or of their own purposes. They didn't see Moses as their goals, their thing to hold on to. They saw Moses as a tool met for the master's use. They didn't see Moses as their own legacy. They didn't see Moses as the future football player that they could never be, but that they would force him to become. They saw Moses as a potential vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. That's from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. And let's turn there. Very important for us, especially as parents here. What do you see when you look at your children? Do you see them with selfishness? Zach, what are you saying? Have you gone mad? Have, do you look at your kids with selfishness? Or do you look at your kids with gratitude to the Lord, saying, Lord, thank you for lending them to me, for allowing them to be in my care. Lord, help me to do well as a parent. To send them off and shoot them off as those arrows that they can accomplish your will and your plans and your purposes, right? Like we just said, to obey God rather than men. Do you want to raise your kids in such a way that if you're not being biblical, you want them to disagree with you? That's a tough question to ask as a parent, right? What do you mean you're not going to listen to me, right? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know how much I paid? I cleaned your diapers, right? Right? But we should be raising them to the point that they're looking to seek God. And yes, all over scripture it's to obey your parents, to honor your father and mother. But just in case, are we ready for that? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, it says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also useful lusts but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Parents, what are we keeping our kids from? What are we keeping them from, and what are we keeping them for? Moses' parents, they had Moses for three months, and yet he got to the point where he said, I would rather get the worst The absolute worst that my own people in slavery have, I would rather have that than the absolute best that Egypt has to offer. What did these parents do with Moses for three months as a baby? So for us to be ready for that, are we ready to prepare our kids for whatever they have that they can follow and seek the Lord? How are we keeping them unspotted from this world? Parents, are you active about that? Or do you think it's all on them? It's not biblical. Again, fathers, you will stand before God and say, what did you do with Levi? What did you do with Ella? What did you do with Luke? Those are my kids, not your kids. So whatever your kids are, you're going to stand before the Lord and he say, what have you done with them? What did you do with them? How did you raise them up in the things of God? They're still under your home. They're still under your care. James 1, verse 27, you can write that down. It says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from this world. Again, parents, that's how we have to be. We have to keep our kids unspotted from this world, not away from the world, not in a bubble, not in a vacuum so that their first day in the world, they blow it right and they pass out. No, in the world, but not of it. Again, you think of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They went from a small town in Israel to the biggest and best that Babylon had to offer. Away from their parents, their parents massacred, their city destroyed. And yet Daniel purposed in his heart to not sin before the Lord. To not defile himself with meat, with delicacies, right? May we raise our own lives like that. And may we raise our kids, our sons and daughters like this. We go back to Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Again, this is 40 years afterward. So parents, there's hope for us, right? If your kid, if your son and daughter is not walking with the Lord Moses and how awesome he is, it wasn't until he was 40 years old that he said, you know what? I'm not going to follow Egypt anymore. I'm going to follow the Lord. So for us to still be in prayer. Keep in prayer. Abraham is 80 years old when he gets called. Stay in prayer. Keep praying for those prodigals. But Moses at 40 years old, 40 years of being in Pharaoh's home. 40 years he became a military general. 40 years he became the next in line to the throne of Egypt. And what Moses did is he denounced his adoption to this world He denounced his adoption to Pharaoh, the top of the top, the best of the best. And he preferred the adoption to the king of kings. Family, is that where we're at? That we're saying, I don't want to be adopted by this world. I don't want to be adopted by the very best that this world has to offer. I want to be adopted by the king of kings and the lord of lords. Because if you're here and you're a Christian, if you're here again, right, we go through all the definitions because that word is thrown around loosely. You're a follower of Jesus. You're a disciple of Jesus. You're saying you're going to heaven when you die. What you're saying is, Jesus, I'm your brother. God, you're adopting me into your family. And God, whatever your rules are, whatever the rules of the home are, God, I'm going to follow it. Whatever rule book you have given me, whether I like it or not, God, I'm going to follow it. Because you have adopted me into your family. And we need to be active. We need to denounce our adoption to this world. Moses didn't play along. He didn't try to play both sides. He had to refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, refusing his adoption by Pharaoh. Again, the very best that the world had to offer. We can look at James chapter 4, verse 4, a book right after Hebrews. James chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world Is enmity with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Again, family, where are we at? Where are we seeking our adoption? Where are we seeking our applause? Where are we seeking our thumbs up or our pats on the back? Is it from this world or is it from the Lord? Is it from the people of this world or is it from the people of God? If we're seeking to be a friend of this world, a friend of this world, of its systems, of its sin, of its attack on the Lord, you will make yourself an enemy of God. We go back to Hebrews chapter 11. Now verse 25 and 26. Again, it's taking us through the process, the mind process that Moses had to go through. Verse 25 and 26. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Again, Moses, he had the best of the best. Again, in this day and age, there's like, right, like top 10 most richest people, then you have top 10 most powerful people. Pharaoh was it, the richest man. And the most powerful man how much money do people make going after one are there still tomb robbers i don't know right people going after one pyramid how much money did they used to make i don't know they still make money right imagine a pharaoh who's alive who owns the entire kingdom the greatest kingdom in the entire world and that's what he was about to own he was about to be right the real king of the world And yet he says, no, I would rather suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. This is bittersweet. The sweet thing is that the afflictions we receive because of our relationship with God, guess what, family? They're only for a season. They're only for a season. The afflictions, the worst that this world will pour out on us because we're sons and daughters of God, it's only for a season. The absolute worst. But now with sin, the pleasures of sin, the enjoyment of sin, the absolute best that sin has to offer, guess what? It's only for a season. It's only for a small season. So now you have to decide, would I rather suffer the suffering for a small season and look to the reward, look to heaven, look to being able to be an eternity, perfect eternity, no more sin, no more crying, no more injustices, no more trials for all of eternity and just say no to the passing pleasures of sin? Or am I saying, no, I just want the little bit. I just want the cotton candy. That's what I want, right? That's what little kids do. Do you want cotton candy, popcorn, or Texas de Brazil? No, man, I want want the popcorn, right? I want the cotton candy. It's blue. It's baby blue, right? Have you seen that thing? It looks crazy. That's what I want. And many times as believers, that's how we go. And, but this sin feels so good. It's like, don't you know how, how great it's going to feel when I, when I throw that one line on my wife? Don't you know how great it's going to feel when I say that one th- mean thing I've been holding in all day? And you say it, you feel like the man for five seconds, and then you go, what did I just say, right? Now you're paying for it. You're paying for it. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. We can start in verse 20. Romans chapter 6, verse 20. It tells us, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, family, the pleasures of sin, it's a moment. The Bible, it doesn't lie. It tells us the truth. Sin feels good in the moment. But later on, you're going to reap what you sow. But if we endure, we'll look at that later with Moses. If we endure, we get to have everlasting life. We get to have the fruit of holiness. We get to have this relationship and friendship with the God of heaven and earth. That's what we get to taste of. That's what we get to be a part of. So which thing do you want, right? That's what we need to ask ourselves on a daily basis. Lord, am I really serving you no matter what today? Or Lord, am I serving my sin Am I serving the flesh? Am I serving the enemy? Freedom is not really a choice in life. You're going to have a master. It's either the Lord or it's the enemy, Satan. It's one or the other. It's, that's it? It's two choices. Is the enemy? Or it's Christ. The wages of sin is death. Again, Moses, he took out the calculator. He saw the absolute worst that Christ had to offer. He looked at people in slavery. Again, what did Pharaoh do? He was beating them. He was abusing them. He got mad at them, so he took away the straw. He made life as difficult as possible for them. And he said, hey, it's better for me to be with them than it is to be up here in the throne with all the comforts, with all the money, with all that this world has to offer. It's far better for me to be with them. Family, we need to take out that calculator and count the cost, right? Go back. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. I'll read Hebrews chapter 11, uh, 26 for you. But in Philippians chapter 3, Paul, he makes the same decisions that Moses made. And hopefully we're making these same decisions as these great men did. But again, Hebrews 11:26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. And in Philippians chapter three, what an amazing portion of Scripture for us! Philippians chapter three, we look at verse seven through verse eleven. And it tells us, "But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ." Faith that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Again, Paul he took out that same calculator. He took out that same calculator, he took out that same Excel spreadsheet. He said, Let's do the math here. This is the absolute best that the world has to offer. This is the absolute worst that Christ has to offer. Man, even the best that this world has to offer compared to the worst that Christ has to offer is but rubbish. It's but rubbish. We only see that word one time in the Greek in the New Testament. It's animal poop. That's what it is. It says the absolute best that this world has to offer is nothing but manure. That's the absolute best this world has to offer in comparing to the worst, to the sufferings of Christ. How much more the blessings, the riches that we have in Christ's family. Again, may we count the cost. And most of us, we're not going to be able to compare the best of Egypt compared to the worst of Christ. But when we remember the olden days, we always talk about how amazing they were, right? They were always amazing. They're always the best. I'm Cuban, but I remember Cubans coming from Cuba, and Cuba was the best, right? It's like, didn't you come from communism? Didn't you eat Yeah, but the toilet paper in Cuba was the best, right? We forget what it used to be like. And sometimes we talk about our BC days, and we're like, it was so awesome. We had so much fun. And, man, you don't remember. You don't remember the loneliness. You don't remember the brokenness. You don't remember the backstabbing, the hurt. You don't remember the cost of sin, the pain of sin. You don't remember that you have forgotten. Same thing as the people of Israel. We talked about it, I think, last time together. The people of Israel, they say, Moses, what have you done? You've freed us from slavery for 400 years. You've killed the entire army of our enemies. Have you brought us out here to die? Don't you remember how great it was in Egypt, the onions, right? Does anybody say it? The garlic? Don't you remember how great the garlic was in Egypt, right? Don't you remember? You were being beaten, your babies were being thrown into the river, and yet you say Egypt is better than being in the wilderness with the Lord. Family, we need to be careful. Sometimes as believers, it's always hard. It's always this is so hard. This is always hard. You, you're not looking at things clearly. You're not pulling out the right calculator. The absolute worst that this world has to offer is nothing compared to what the Lord has for us, family. May we do the math correctly. Verse twenty-seven. Hebrews chapter 11, it tells us, by faith, right? All of this is by faith. All of this is trusting in God, trusting in things we have not seen. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he forsook Egypt. Family, it takes faith to turn away from the world. It takes faith to tell people in the world, hey, I'm not going to go down this path with you. I'm not going to watch these things with you. I'm not going to listen to that with you. I can't be friends with you anymore. That takes faith. But we know without faith, it's what? It's impossible to please God. If we don't find ourselves taking steps of faith for the Lord, it's impossible to please God. It's not that it's hard. It's not that it's difficult. It's not that it's a coin flip. No, it's impossible to please God unless we're taking steps of faith for him. Unless we're taking a chance, unless we're taking a risk. If we're never taking risks for the Lord, you're not pleasing him, family. That's what God's word tells us now. Calculated risk, not putting your wife on the line or your family on the line. Unless the Lord has grown you to that point where it's ministry or business or both, that's when you got to really pray even more so. But God is so faithful that he tests us on the little things, Right? It's growing up in faith. He doesn't come at you all of a sudden and say, hold this stick and make the ocean split in two, right? That wasn't the first thing that Moses had to do. At first, the Lord is there with him. He says, okay, pick up the stick. Throw the stick down. Oh, my goodness, it's a snake. Okay, now pick up the stick again, right? The Lord took him through training wheels. Okay, take your hand. Stick your hand inside. Put your hand outside. Oh, my goodness, it has leprosy. Okay, now put your hand back inside, right? It started off with that, and then the Lord asked him to do a little bit more and a little bit more, and a little bit more. And that's how the Lord wants to lead you and guide you. It's one step at a time. But if we say no to the next step, you're just going to be stuck until you do that step. Until you're obedient to the last thing that the Lord has asked you to do, you're going to be stuck. You're going to be stuck and frustrated. Lord, why am I not hearing you clearly? What's going on? I feel so distant from you. Have you obeyed the last step? Have you obeyed the last step of faith I asked you to do? Have you started serving it? Did you cut off this friendship? Have you looked for this? Have you asked this person that? We always have to be obedient to the Lord. The last step, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. What we see here is that Moses would later follow the footsteps of his parents. He wouldn't fear the worst that the kings of this world would deliver. He wouldn't fear the wrath of Pharaoh because what? His parents, they weren't afraid of the wrath of Pharaoh. They were looking to be obedient to what God had for them. Parents, how are we being the trailblazers for our kids when it comes to the things of God? Are we being the trailblazers in the face for them? Or are we being the anchors holding them back? They asked to serve, they asked to go to more services, they asked to go on a missions trip. Are we the ones holding them back? Or are we the ones saying, hey, come follow me as I follow Christ. Hey, you want to do that? Hey, let's go, let's do it together. Let me go first. Let's do it together. Be that example within your family, right? Heaven forbid, you know, part of your testimony of your kids. Yeah, my parents were holding me back all my life. It wasn't until I disobeyed them that I really was able to taste all that the Lord had for me. God forbid that be of us. May we be the trailblazers for our kids. I was just following the example of my dad. I was just following the example of my mom. I was just following the example of my big brother or my big sister. What a joy to be a part of that type of testimony. And we see here the grace of God. Because let's turn to Exodus chapter 2, verse 14. Again, Hebrews chapter 11, all these men and women, we are seeing as God sees them through the blood of Christ. But in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, it tells us, Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren and he looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to one who did the wrong, Why are you striking your companion? Then he said, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Again, Moses didn't start out here. This isn't where Moses started, but the Lord was willing to work with Moses. The tough thing, hopefully we don't have to go through it, is Moses had to go through the school of hard knocks for 40 years. He lived in Egypt for 40 years. He knew everything that the world had to offer, and then the Lord had to make him forget everything in Egypt for 40 years, right? And then the Lord would appear to him and would speak to him through that burning bush. And then he would argue with that burning bush, which is crazy to think about, right? God has come to you. He's speaking to you. Tells you to take off your sandals. He's telling you of his power, his might, his plan. And then you start arguing with a burning bush, right? No, no, not me, Lord. Not me. I I can't talk. I can't talk. I'm talking to you right now, but I can't talk, God. It's not going to happen. It can't happen. And how the Lord would use this man... Through his mistakes, through his problems. And again, family, this is a reminder to us that God doesn't use anyone who's perfect. Why? Because no one is perfect. No one is perfect. But the Lord wants to use you. He has mighty plans and purposes for you. But are you willing to take that next step of faith? That next step, that next level, the Lord wants to use you. Like a Moses, right? The Lord wants to use you like a Joshua. We go back to Hebrews chapter 11 and the second half of verse 27, right? By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Family, our walk, our relationship with the Lord, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Many people start off great. Many people do great and crazy things for the Lord. But then a month happens, a year happens, five years happens, and they're not here with us today. We need to endure. And that's what he's telling these Hebrews. He's saying, guys, you need to endure. I know it's getting hard. I know people are making fun of you. I know people are hurting you. I know people within your own ranks are starting to say that we should go back to Judaism. I know people who call themselves Christians are saying we need to add on things of Judaism to perfect the gospel. We need to add these things, take away from these things. We should go back. I know people around you are saying this, but you need to endure. You need to press on. You need to look to who? Seeing him who is invisible. You need to keep your eyes focused on Christ. In this insane season... You need to keep your eyes focused on Christ. Keep praying that prayer, Lord, rapture or revival, Lord, one or the other. It has to be one or the other, Lord. Keep your eyes on Christ. Not on social media. Not even on some pastors. Not on the news. Keep your eyes focused on Christ. How are you growing your devotional time with the Lord? Are you seeing Him who is invisible? Are you sitting down with Him each morning and saying... All right, Lord, what do you have to say this morning? All right, Lord, I am tired. I'm exhausted. I spent five minutes online on social media, and, Lord, I'm already exhausted, right? Lord, would you strengthen me? Lord, I'm ready to tear this world and half. Lord, would you, would you strengthen me? Lord, I need your agape love, Lord. Lord, I looked online. I feel terrible. I feel like the worst person ever. Lord, would you renew me? Lord, would you strengthen me? We need to endure as seeing him who is invisible. We need to focus on him, family. In this season, I hope what you're eating, what you're devouring more than anything else is the Word of God. Again, devour the Word of God, devour the truth of God. That way when people shake you, when people stir you, when people cut you off, the truth of God is what pours out and nothing else. Verse 28 and 29. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. Again, by faith. His first step of faith, once he had the people of God behind them, was, all righty, guys, the angel of death is coming tonight. The angel of death, he's coming across the whole entire country. He's going to kill everybody's firstborn." Every firstborn cow, every firstborn of everything. What God told me to do was to kill an unblemished lamb, dip the blood, put it on the doorpost, and he'll pass over. He won't look after you. That's the plan. That's that's what you actually want us to do. It takes faith. He could have looked like a dummy, right? You gotta be willing to look like a dummy sometimes for the Lord. You have to. When we don't, it's because we're so I'm so filled up with my pride that I, I can't be looked at like a dummy. If I say these things, if I step out in faith, if I say that's wrong, if I say I want to do this for Christ and I'm wrong, I'll be looked like as a dummy. And it's just my pride creeping in there. My pride is trying to protect myself, protect what people say about me, instead of saying, Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, what's the plan? You're right. By faith, he kept the Passover. He was obedient to what God had him to do. Hey, don't make that bread with leaven. Have it prepared. Have it ready. Because you, you're going to have to eat this and go. You're going to have to eat this and run. But God, Pharaoh has lied to us nine times. What do you mean? No, you got to be ready to eat this and go. But Lord, every other time I thought we were going to go, every other time that I thought we were going to be free, he lied to us. Hey, no, you need to make this and eat this and be ready to go. Doesn't matter what happened the last nine times. You got to be ready. Again family for us to be ready verse 29 by faith they passed through the red sea as by dry land whereas the egyptians attempting to do so were drowned again they finally let free everybody's excited right imagine the party imagine the excitement they're let free the people of egypt they give them all their gold their earrings their money their cattle that's how they had all this in the wilderness they're excited. They must be singing. They've been freed from slavery for the last 400 years. Then all of a sudden they get to the, the Red Sea and right things start shaking. They look back. The entire army of the Egyptians is coming. And they all, right, all of a sudden all the eyes look to Moses, right? I don't know if you've ever been there. Something bad happens and you're the leader and everybody puts their eyes on you, right? So what's the plan? What are we going to do, right? I don't know. I was once a general, but we got no army here. I was once this, but I got nothing. And he turns to the Lord and the Lord says, hey, pick up that, that stick in your hand. Pick it up. Hold it up. I'm about to rip this ocean in two. And I want you to just walk through it. It takes faith. Right? I wonder how long it took for the ocean to finally spread in two, right? Was he just standing there like that and looking around for a little bit? Or does the Lord right away open it up? Let's turn to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33, verse 7. It tells us, Moses took his tent and he pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp. And he called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses and the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshiped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend And he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tent. We can jump down to verse 18. And Moses, he tells the Lord, please show me your glory. And again, why was Moses able to give up the very best things that this world had to offer? Because he saw that a relationship and friendship with God was more than worth it. He was the only one. Of all the people in Israel, all the people, they've left Egypt. They've been freed. Only he and Joshua were willing to go outside the camp to meet with the Lord. No one else was willing to do so. Everyone else stayed in their door. Everyone else would stay. And look how Moses would spend time with God. Moses, he goes up Mount Sinai. He's there with God. They see the the trembling. They see the thunder. And they say, you go. You go. We're too fearful to go. You go spend time with God. And family, that's the cost we need to count. Is it worth it? Is it worth it leaving the best that this world has to offer if we get that friendship and relationship with God? That's what you have to ask yourself. Is it worth it? Is he worth it? Having that relationship and friendship with the one who has created the heavens and the earth the universe, the one that loved you, loved me so much, he was willing to offer up his only son to die in my place. Is he worth it? Do you want to go there? Do you want to go outside the camp and spend time with him? Or are you just comfortable staying in the same place? Saying, hey, Moses, you could go. Hey, Pastor Raj, you could go over there. Right? Hey, Pastor Adrian, you can go over there. I'm just going to hang out here. I'm just going to stay here. We're all welcome to go. The place has been built. Christ, he's the one that has built it. He's done all of it. And again here, Moses is faced with another proposition. He tells him, hey, I'm just going to send the angel. You're going to get all you want. You're going to get the land. You're going to get everything you want. He goes, no, Lord, if you don't go, I'm not moving from here. I don't care if I just get your blessings. Lord, if I get your blessings without your presence, I don't want it. That's what we need to be willing to ask ourselves. If we would get the very best that this world has to offer without the Lord, would we give in? That's what we got to pray. And if we're saying, Lord, I don't know what I'll do, be honest with the Lord. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm terrible, Lord, but I want this. I want this. I want to want this. Lord, help me to want this. Help me to have fruits worthy of repentance in my life so that my life would show that I want that friendship and relationship with you. So again, family, may we press on like Moses pressed on. He endured his faith in the beginning. It was a joke, right? How am I going to save millions of slaves? I'm going to kill one Egyptian at a time, right? I'm going to kill and bury one Egyptian at a time. And the Lord goes, no, bro i got to teach you all over again how we're going to do this thing. But the Lord worked with him. The Lord worked with him. The Lord did mighty things with him. He's there, right, at Mount Transfiguration with Christ. He worked with him. And the Lord, he's willing to work with you. But we got to say, Lord, here I am. Send me, use me. Would you speak to me? Lord, I'm here in the morning. Lord, I'm knocking this morning. Are you there? Do you want to speak to me? What do you want to share with me? we got to do that.